exciting. I'm excited yeah. for 49 and 50. Me too. I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about our stewardship over the earth. I think it's something we don't discuss that much. And how to talk about important and maybe even some sensitive topics in yep. the church. Mm -hmm. So welcome. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we should follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's follow up. So today we are in Doctrine and Covenants sections 49 and 50. And in these sections, the Lord is going to instruct the leaders of the church to go and preach to the shakers. He's going to clarify marriage and the importance of marriage and how it is ordained of God. He's also going to encourage people to not be deceived and assures them that he will be in their midst. He also talks about that which edifies is of God and that which does not is not of God. He talks about the importance of cleaving unto light. And he's also going to talk about how he is going to come to the world. Obviously, a lot of different things that we can talk about today, but we want to focus in on three things in particular. First, what does it mean as disciples to have a stewardship over the earth? How is that manifested? Uh, second, how do we know truth from deception and falsehood? And third, what is the sacred purpose of marriage? So in order to help us to get through these topics and dive more deeply into the scriptures and the historical context, we have our wonderful guest today, Mark Staker. Mark, would you join us on Welcome. the stage? Thank you, Daniel and Barbara. I appreciate you inviting me. So Mark, you are the master curator of the Church History Library. Um, you're also a researcher and writer, and you're, you specialize specifically in Latter-day Saint history. Correct. Right. Yeah, I, I work for the Historic Sites Division of the church, where, where I'm a master curator. Mm -hmm. And one of the responsibilities of the Historic Sites Division is taking care of the sacred lands of the Restoration. And so we are interested in making sure that these sites are preserved as a witness mm -hmm. uh, to the restoration of the gospel. And you can imagine, for example, the sacred grove is an important site to us. And we've learned over time that actually caring for the land is a little more complex, that taking the leaves up and picking up the sticks is hurting the trees that we're trying to preserve. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a complex process of figuring out how do we actually care for these locations mm -hmm. so that we preserve them appropriately. Excellent. And that fits really well, I think, into in, our first topic, which is uh, our stewardship over the earth as Latter-day Saints. Before we get into our discussion of this, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about who the Shakers were. We know that uh, the historical context uh, of, these, of these section relates to their, their practices and beliefs. Absolutely. The Shakers shared a lot of beliefs in common with mm -hmm. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with the beliefs that we have today. And we can find that uh, they believed in a restoration mm -hmm. of Christianity and they believed in the gifts of the Spirit, but error crept into their beliefs as well. Their most prominent beliefs were uh, the looking for spiritual interaction mm -hmm. with God. And that's where they get the name Shaker from, where they were looking for uh, manifestations of the Spirit that uh, were physical, so they would dance, um, worship through dance. They rejected the, idea, the notion of needing ordinances like baptism mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. And they focused more heavily on trying to get those spiritual experiences that they would do through emotion and other things that then would cause them to shake. Mm -hmm. So in, in this revelation in, in 49, is it that these beliefs had kind of crept into Latter-day Saint practices and, and thinking, or the Lord was just kind of making clear what should be done. Well, that's a good question. So there was a member of the church, Lehman Copley was his name, who was a former shaker. And he had joined the church, but he wanted to go back in a sense and talk to his, the former people that he was among. And so in order to do that, Joseph receives this revelation. They're actually to, to go and take this revelation and read it to 
the Shaker mm -hmm. communities. Sydney and Parley and Lehman are specifically commanded to go back then and, and take this and read it to the people. Excellent. So with all that context, maybe we can open up to section 49 verses 18 through 21 to kind of get at the meat of our first section. So the Lord is saying, and whoso forbiddeth to abstain from meats, that a man should not eat the same is not ordained of God. For behold, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and that which cometh of the earth is ordained for the use of man for food and for clothes or raiment and that he might have an abundance. But it is not given that one person should possess that which is above another, wherefore the world lieth in sin. And woe be unto man that sheddeth blood or wasteth flesh and hath no need. So are there specific things beyond not eating meat that the Lord is pointing out here that the Shakers were doing? What I find is this list of behaviors um, does address Shaker beliefs, but it's so much broader. And it's actually addressing the Latter-day Saint community uh, there at the time and error that has crept in among them. So um, to one extent, you have people who um, are emphasizing you can't eat any meat. And then to the other extreme, you have people killing them for pure entertainment with no regard uh, for what you're doing for the earth and the sacredness of, of those gifts. Mm -hmm. And based on these uh, scriptures, it seems like the Lord is saying three things in 19, 20, and 21. The first is that animals are ordained for the use of humans for both food and clothing. Uh, the second seems to suggest that the earth resources should be distributed justly. And the third is that we shouldn't consume or waste uh, the earth's material resources. Uh, so my question is for all of you, what else does our commitment to Christ demand of us in terms of our relationship with the earth? Yeah, Noah. I think that mainly throughout the scriptures, it always talks about uh, using things in moderation. And so it's kind of our, our job to not uh, either overhunt or cut down too many trees or anything like that. And because within, within the scripture, it is constantly talking about those things. It's our job as members of the church to work towards those things and spread awareness for those things because... It's the word of God to uh, not overuse. Thank you for that. I love this scripture where it says, so it's First Nephi chapter 17, 36. Behold, the Lord hath created the earth that it should be inhabited, and he created his children that they should possess it. We as, as people, I think, need to understand that God is a creator of all things. And I think that's what you're doing, Mark, with these church history sites. The Sacred Grove, what a beautiful job you've done. And Nauvoo, I mean, you can't go there and not know that people are taking the best care of not just the church history, but the land. I mean, you're seeing gardens out there and you're seeing fresh trees being planted. And I mean, you're, you're just doing an amazing job. So I thank you. Yeah, we think that uh, even the landscape bears witness to the events that took place there. And so we try to give it a special attention. Yeah, and even the scriptures say that the Lord gave us the, the earth to enlighten the heart and enliven the soul. It's not just to kind of give us sustenance, but to give us joy and to point us towards God. And in the same way that we wouldn't, you know, mistreat a gift given to us by our spouse or a loved one or something like that. I think showing respect for the earth is a way to, to show love for God. So there's a couple quotes here from uh, the church's website um, regarding this topic that I think are, are worth sharing. So the first one says, God has made us accountable for the care and preservation of the earth and the wise use of its resources. As stewards, we avoid complacency and excessive consumption using only what is necessary. We make our homes, neighborhoods, and cities beautiful. We preserve resources and protect for future generations the spiritual and temporal blessings of nature. There are experiences in mortality that really help us connect to our Heavenly Father. One, I think, is, is tending to the earth, bringing order into chaos, gardening, farming, and this idea of we're creating life or, so, or facilitating the, cre the creation of life. So in that way, I think it, it, it's absolutely uh, not just a rule from the beginning, but a tool for us to helping to come to know our Heavenly Father better. A couple more quotes from the, from the church's website here. 
So regarding how we can uh, be better stewards of the earth, check with your local utility company, local community groups, or on the internet to find suggestions to conserve energy and to recycle. Support community recycling programs. Consider starting a community garden. Support local civic groups that promote stewardship and conservation. Be an involved citizen in government. Be informed, respect the views of others, and treat everyone's civility. I think this is sometimes something of a controversial topic because we tend to politicize it. But I mean, it seems to suggest at least this statement that it's actually, it's part of our commitment to Jesus Christ. It's part of living the gospel. And we don't usually think of it in those terms. I remember being in Ghana one day, um, we were discussing actually these verses and we talked about the importance of throwing things away and recycling. And it was kind of a funny discussion because there were no recycle bins and there were no garbage cans where we were. And um, so the discussion came, you know, how do you do these things? And so we just discussed, just do our best to be good stewards of what the Lord has given to us. In different places, there are going to be different things that we can do, but for each of us trying to do what we can based upon our, our settings and based upon our ability to do so. Yeah. So Mark, I know you mentioned that part of your work as a master curator is to kind of tend to the land at church historical sites. I'm wondering, is there experiences you've had with that and how has it affected you kind of having that kind of attentiveness to, to the earth as it were? Well, I was responsible for uh, helping to furnish the priesthood restoration site. And after we finished getting everything in place and just the morning before the, the dedication took place and I was in the parking lot of the visitor center and this deer came down out of the woods into the parking lot and it began to dance back and forth and I have never seen that kind of uh, response before and it must have been about 15 minutes that it did that. That experience reminded me of the importance of that interaction between everything that was around the priesthood restoration site and what we were celebrating there. Yeah. That's a cool story. Excellent. So this has been a great uh, discussion about our stewardship of the earth. I'm wondering now if we can transition to talking a little bit more about knowing truth from deception. I think, Mark, we were talking about this a little bit before. Can you give us a little bit more information or context for this next section? Well, we talked a little bit about um, that these are new converts to the church. They haven't had a lot revealed to them yet. There, there are little hints in the scriptures of how do we tell truth from deception. And some of those are here, but it's not until a couple of years uh, later where Joseph learns about uh, the nature of truth and what is truth. I'm serving right now as a bishop of my congregation. And as I've talked to a number of individuals who've had serious questions trying to figure out, you know, what is truth, what is deception, and I've encouraged them to make sure as you continue to explore these things and promise them that you'll get answers, but make sure that you live the commandments. And I've seen some individuals who've chosen to not do that that because they don't have the answers, they've chosen to go a different direction and not live the commandments, and then they've cut themselves off. Mark, I appreciate that. And I think we actually have a video from a person that's asking questions about deception and how to understand that. Hi, my name is Paul Vogelzang. I live here in Northern Virginia, and I work in technology. How does the Spirit talk to us and reveal truth? And how do we then separate that truth from the deception that is out there too? That's a great question. How can we discern truth from deception in a world full of both? I love this quote by Elder George Q. Cannon, maybe a little bit older, but I think it's really helpful. He says, one of the gifts of the gospel, which the Lord has promised to those who enter into covenant with him is the gift of discerning of spirits. 
a gift which is not much thought of by many and probably seldom prayed for, yet it is a gift that is of exceeding value and one that should be enjoyed by every Latter-day Saint. So continuing to Paul's question, he talks about the importance of this gift of discernment. And he says, the gift of discernment of spirits not only gives men and women who have it the power to discern the spirit which others may be possessed or influenced by, but it gives them the power to discern the spirit which influences themselves. They are able to detect a false spirit and also to know when the spirit of God reigns within them. In private life, this gift is of great importance to the Latter-day Saints. So I think one of the things when we're trying to detect the gifts of the spirit and trying to understand what spirit and, and, and what is important to us in our own lives is being able to pray for and actually have the gift of discernment, which is a promise that the Lord says we as a members of the church can have. In fact, in these sections, we learn a lot about the gifts of the spirit. We learn a lot about deception. And specifically, if we look at section 50, the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 13 through 24 together, and I want you to just look for how can we use these verses to help us discern the methodology that is coming from God versus coming from perhaps a false spirit. Tian, please. I love verse 24 that it says, that which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And I just love it because... It wraps up the gospel for me that truly the Savior is the light of the world. And if we can receive that light, it increases in us. It shines forward to others. And that's how we know that we're truly of the Spirit of God because it makes us better people. And it also makes other people better by being around us. And I think for me, if it makes me better, if it lights up my heart and lights up other people around me, then I know it's of God. Thank you. I love that idea of light too. If it's something that's deceptive, if it's something that's secretive, if it's something that nobody knows but you or nobody knows but somebody else, maybe that's not quite the right methodology that we should be following if somebody's teaching you it and it's not open, right? In that sense. A difference between sacred and secret in that case, right? Thank you. Please, yes. So verse 22, wherefore he that preaheth and he that receiveth understand one another and both are edified and rejoice together. I think it's mostly more on teaching. I mean, I teach in primary, so it's that they're like, oh, moments. Kids like, oh, yeah, you know? They ask, they ask questions, then we answer, and that's rejoicing each other. They're both edified and rejoiced. And when kids are, ah, oh, my kids are answering, ah, oh, and then I, I, my testimony is more confirmed, you know, of the principle that I'm teaching. Beautiful. In a sense, I love the word edify, and in Spanish, edificar, to build up, right? And I love that idea that as two people are discussing truths and trying, to, and trying to understand each other, the spirit is going to help them understand each other. It's not going to be all this confusion and trying to figure things out. You can feel the clarity come when things are taught in a correct way. Yeah, excellent. If I could just share one additional thought, kind of putting this in context, and that's uh, verse 23, where it says, and that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. At this time, they had been um, receiving kind of... Religious enthusiasm. They were experiencing uh, what they thought was the spirit, and here uh, it gives a clue to them about how to recognize that that's of, of darkness. Because edify, you can think of an edifice, a building, and it initially had that uh, connotation of building something, of uh, creating something. But it, by this time, it was building knowledge or creating knowledge. And so that which does not add knowledge or understanding of some kind is darkness. Thank you for that. So we've been talking a lot about the spirit of truth and receiving truth. We actually have a video from a viewer at home asking a question regarding this. Hi, my name is Eliza Jane. I'm 11 years old. How do I know if I am receiving the word of truth by the spirit of truth? Do you guys, do you have other thoughts for this, an answer for this 11-year-old's wonderful question? 
So when I joined the church, I mean, not just me, my whole family, uh, I was like 16 years old. And I, I kind of felt the same way as she's feeling. And I'm really grateful that, you know, elders who were coming to visit our home and they were teaching us. And they told us that, you know, the spirit, the voice of the spirit is not going to be really loud. But you have to read the scriptures by yourself and ponder and then pray about them. And that feeling, that still small voice, you, you will hear it and you will be able to tell that this is the spirit and this is the truth. That's a beautiful comment. And I appreciate you talking about it, especially as a 16-year-old kind of being confused by that. I think it, throughout our lives, we're trying to understand how the spirit speaks to us and what is true and what is not true. And maybe in a more mature way, depending on our situation. I, I know that this is a, a common scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that missionaries use and a lot of others use to understand the spirit. But it's helped me a lot in my own life. It's, it just says simply this, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, and then meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. We, we could go into detail and talk about every word there, but I think for me, especially when I'm studying my scriptures, I'm preparing to teach, or if I'm just having my own personal experience with the scriptures, I pay attention to how I'm feeling. And there's a difference in the feeling of I'm feeling joy or I'm feeling peace and I'm feeling okay about this versus something's not quite right. And that is something I think that takes some experience and I think it takes some proving of the Lord so that he can help us to understand his spirit, which he's doing here. They're, they're trying to figure it out, right? I mean, these are early members of the church trying to figure it out. They haven't done, they haven't sinned in a sense as much as they're, they're trying to understand. This has been a great topic regarding knowing truth from deception. So thank you, Mark, for helping with that as well. Mm -hmm. And let's go on to our next topic, the sacred purpose of marriage. One of the practices of the Shakers was uh, to live a celibate life, if I'm not mistaken. Now, celibacy in the Christian tradition, it, it's, it's not a new thing. From the earliest days, you have people uh, reading Paul saying the married person is, cares for the matters of their spouse, whereas the unmarried person can care for the matters of the Lord. You have statements in the Gospels about how angels in heaven aren't married. And then you have Christians trying to live and guide themselves by the scriptures saying, oh, if the angels aren't married, and if we can pay more attention to the Lord by not being married, maybe we shouldn't be married. Um, so this kind of logic of celibacy emerged. Um, during this time, the Shakers uh, were practicing celibacy. Some of them were. So the Lord reveals to Joseph Smith that this isn't the way that it should be. You know, recently, President Nelson came and spoke um, to BYU, BYU students, and the, the name of his talk was called Love and Law. One of the things he says is this, talking about God's laws. He says, in doing so, sometimes we are accused of being uncaring as we teach the Father's requirements for exaltation in the celestial kingdom. But wouldn't it be far more uncaring for us not to tell the truth, not to teach what God has revealed? It is precisely because we do care deeply about all of God's children that we proclaim his truth. We may not always tell people what they want to hear. Prophets are very rarely popular, but we will always teach the truth. My dear young friends, exaltation is not easy. If we can bring this back to our own lives right now, I, I have one question. So I know we have somebody here who have been married for 35 years, right? And then we have people here who have been married for what, two weeks or two months or something? Two months. Two months, okay. How's it going so far? Amazing. Okay, sorry. I mean, so one of, again, one of the, the doctrines that the Lord is... is um, kind of emphasizing in here is the importance of marriage. So why is marriage so important? Me and my wife, we've been married for two months now, and um, it has been an incredible um, experience. Obviously, we have a long ways to go and, and lots to learn, but I think just having someone to look out for me at all times, it's a lot different than living in the house with your parents where we're connected in a way that, that I've never been with anybody else. 
And I feel so blessed to have her with me at all times to be able to, to watch my back and to take care of me and make sure that, that I'm feeling good spiritually and, and physically and that I can do the same for her. Earlier you mentioned how the Shakers kind of believed that they could be closer to God if they weren't married. Mm -hmm. And I feel like being married, definitely like one of the best things about it is you push each other to both be closer to God. You make each other better. And like you said, when we grow closer to God, we also are growing closer to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that is achieved through marriage. It's a beautiful comment for yeah. both of you. Thank you. One of my experiences uh, being married is that um, I assumed that once I got married, all of my problems would fall away and that I wouldn't have any challenges anymore because I had the perfect wife, which I do. But I have learned that over 35 years of marriage, that idea of becoming one and both uniting uh, in a perspective working towards becoming exalted has actually helped me to learn to be a better person for everyone. I, I do love Mark very much, but I know that after many years together that sometimes you find you might marry the person that can push your buttons, giving you opportunity to learn to be who you mm. need to be. Excellent, thank you for that. Thank you, Kim. This was a very tender topic for me. My heart does go out to many of the single members of the church who are living very good, righteous lives. There are a lot of reasons that people don't get married. Um, I think that, the, that what you're talking about here is it says in section 49 is, it says, and verily I say unto you that whoso forbiddeth to marry is not ordained of God, for marriage is ordained of God unto man. It's saying those who say marriage is not right, yeah. that's where the problem is. It's not, there are a lot of people in the church that are not married. And I just hope that as members of the church, uh, we're, we're soft and gentle and uh, loving and kind. And I, I also will say on the other side, I am extremely, <laughs> I'm crying and saying this, I am a, an extremely happy married person. I was also a very happy single person. You can be extremely happy serving the Lord and fulfilling the measure of your creation as a person who is not married. So yeah. I think it's the forbiddeth part that's important, but I mm -hmm. think as, as members of the church, we, we are grateful for marriage and understand mm -hmm. the importance, but also we recognize the joy of mm -hmm. living the gospel as well. And I'm inclined to think that even though marriage does offer us a context in which we can grow in very specific ways by that companionship, I'm inclined to think that people who aren't married yet, uh, you know, that the Lord also provides them other opportunities to grow in those same ways. Kishé. One of the things I've been thinking about, it, I am married, um, but I have a lot of friends who aren't as well. And I just remember when I was getting married, feeling like, okay, so much of my life is going to change and like, how are things gonna be? Um, but what I recognize is that the biggest determining factor in my happiness in my marriage and in any relationship that I have with my family and my friends and coworkers and colleagues um, really all links back to what my relationship is with Christ. I like to think that as an individual, married or not, the greatest sacrifices and the work that the Lord has put us on this earth to do are not contingent on people that we marry. I think that is very much a factor that can help us progress or maybe fulfill that purpose, but the Lord will have a work for us to do regardless of our marital status. Um, that determining factor is how are we reflecting Christ and what is our connection and our relationship with our Savior? And, and I would add to that, and I agree, acting hearing and acting on his voice, recognizing our relationship with him and being obedient. That's a great comment, thank you. President Nelson, I think it was a couple um, general conferences ago, but he talked about how 
you know, salvation is a personal matter and exaltation is a family matter. Um, when we are, you know, looking not only to that end goal, but how did we get there? And I think that God um, has put us, you know, here with people and families and, you know, spouses so that we can really not only just get through this life, but get through it with joy and happiness. Because from what I've learned from marriage is that, you know, happiness is truly found within, you know, a family and within a home. Thank you for your, your great comments. Um, this has been a great discussion on the sacred purpose of marriage. Mark, thank you so much for that context, for your personal insights. We'd also like to thank you here in the audience with us. We appreciate you coming, your thoughts, your experiences. Yeah, and to those of you at home, thanks for sharing your questions and comments and insights with us via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.